Okay, hello Doreed. Hi there. Thank How you are for you? having me. I'm good. <laughs> so good. Um, so this is our very first sort of podcast for Mad Hat Girls. Um, so I'm going to apologize now if things don't go that smoothly, but I will do my best to edit <laughs> this audio when it's done if there are some hiccups. But I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so today we have Doreen with us. Um, and I've known Doreen for four years now. Can you believe that? Oh, oh my wow. god, I've known you for four years. That's crazy. Yeah, it'd be four years in September. Um, yeah, and Doreen and I uh studied together um back in 2016 and we did a master's in contemporary curation together. Um and Doreen is now Oh, you're quite a few things. You're a digital curator. <laughs> you're you work at the Mexico City Digital Center. If that's I don't know if I said that correctly. Um, but you also teach at yes. university as well, which is pretty amazing. Yes. But um, yeah, so basically, what we will be discussing today, as this month is about network and community. Um, we'll be just discussing about how your work that you've been doing so far um, basically revolves around this theme um, but also get into more depth about what digital art is and how online platform can really help build a community and gain good networking as well I guess in terms of curating digital art. Um, so yeah, so Doreen do you want to introduce yourself and maybe explain what anti material is as well um yes. and maybe just briefly just like to say what else like as you said as i said before like you do teaching and um yeah do you want to go yeah ahead? sure sure yeah well um well thanks again um <laughs> i'm very happy to be the first uh yeah part of the podcast that you'll be releasing i think that what you've been doing with mad hat girls is amazing and definitely now uh when we need to connect closely to each other beyond, you know, physical boundaries. I think it feels much more important than ever. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's interesting to, to be talking about this. But yeah, like you say, I've been working with digital arts for the past five years now. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. And um, so yeah, you started with a small project that's called Antimateria um, around 2015, so yeah, five years ago, where uh, I started doing this uh, research about digital arts in Mexico and especially what was going on in terms of, um, of production, uh, in terms of you know opportunities for artists and in terms of the topics that were urgent to be, um, in a way, approached by, by these means. So pretty much started as an information platform. It was something very, very simple. I put together a series of profiles of artists that I started uh, interviewing and talking with about, you know, what's your artwork about? What do you do? Why are you interested in working with uh, digital tools? And that kind of questions. And, and I think within those conversations, uh, everything started to take shape into a whole different thing that was not only an information platform, since most of them were very, you know, they were very happy that this was going on, but then at the same time, they, they felt that this was not uh, enough for for them to, you know, to, to understand 
properly what was going on in Mexico as a whole, since it's a gigantic country. So, <laughs> um, so from there, I pretty much started thinking about, you know, doing exhibitions with these artists. But then again, at the moment, I had no experience or knowledge about any curatorial practice at all. So. Yeah, I did this master's basically in order for me to be able to gather the experience and the tools that would allow me to eventually become a curator. And I was already very much aware that I was interested in digital arts. So I think from day one within this master's degree that we took together, I was already very much invested in what this means for digital arts and digital processes and especially screen-based art, which sometimes feels very hard to translate into physical spaces. And, you know, I was also wondering whether or not an online-based um, exhibition would sometimes be much more compelling than a physical one and, and why. So, yeah, that's how uh, Antimateria started. And then I started doing, of course, some um, some exhibitions online, offline, and uh, hybrid space, <laughs> I would say. I, I very much, well, at first I, I was very interested in understanding what happens with online curation, but I think it was, uh, I don't know, like an obvious step for me to start considering these hybrid exhibitions that have physical components as well as digital components as a key part of my of my practice. And then later on, I started working at the Digital Culture Center in Mexico City as a curator for the center, which is where I'm working currently. And yeah, I am also lecturing at the BA in Digital Arts and at the Masters in Visual, uh, Visual Studies. So yeah, I've been doing quite a lot <laughs> for in the past three years, but everything has always been well, revolving around, you know, digital processes, networking, uh, materialities, and everything in between, really. So, yes, I'm, I'm very interested in thinking about, um, you know, building new interfaces for us to both, on one hand, exhibit digital art and art in general, but then at the same time, building a community from there and building a conversation from there, uh, especially since I think it's... Uh, very interesting space to you know to to get to know other people with other backgrounds and with other interests and and you know sometimes i think uh with online exhibitions what i think happens a lot is that there might be an easier way to approach different audiences rather than you you know just when you have like a physical space with an exhibition you have to actually bring people physically over to see, you know, if they might be interested in some of these topics of, or, you know, to see if this is something that they might consider doing on, on a, you know, on a common basis, on a daily basis or, you know, at whatever, like just to add to their daily lives. And when you go online and, and in a way approach these different audiences, I think it has a very different approach to them. They can either, you know, just close the browser or whatever and be like yeah I don't know what this means and I don't really like it uh, or they can be you know like wondering other things about this or considering other things that might not necessarily be obvious so yeah I think it, it's an interesting space to be uh, researching and uh, especially now that we have so many physical boundaries uh, I think it's an interesting way to to just you know to have a second option for 
yeah, yeah. doing things yeah. together. Yeah. Um, that's actually really interesting because, like, um, when you're talking about online exhibitions, especially at the moment because of the whole lockdown and COVID-19 situation, um, do you feel like, have you, like, since the lockdown, you've been seeing more and more people maybe interested in the idea of an online exhibition or even creating an online platform to, I don't know, just showcase not to just showcase their work, but maybe react to the lockdown, do you think? Yes, I think I've definitely seen a lot of institutions trying to, you know, to make a case for having an online space for whatever institution they're working for, you know, like, on one hand, I think that when we think about going online while showing artwork, I think we have to be very... Uh, very much aware of what the screen-based exhibition space can do for you and what's the artwork that you actually have within your collection. It's because it's not, of course, you know, when you think about digital art or screen-based art that is already meant to be seen through a screen, it's much easier to understand how to put this together because this is the experience that the artist wanted the audience to have or because this is the experience that you are expected to be having while looking through a certain artwork, right? But what happens when that's not the case? What happens when you have, let's say, a collection of, of sculptures or a collection of uh, textile works that don't necessarily fit into the mold of being seen through a screen? So I think those considerations are being now being, you know, approached in a more critical way because I think that somehow a lot of, uh, of the first approaches to going online through, you know, during the lockdown for some institutions was a, like a very obvious leap, but then at the same time it was very, very naive because they didn't really understand how these screen-based spaces work and how to actually approach their audiences or how to actually communicate properly and compelling I don't know, with, with the people that are interested in visiting these uh, online spaces of theirs. So I think that with the, you know, with the months and the weeks and everything that's going on currently, I think a lot of institutions have already realized that that first thing that they did was, prob was probably not the best thing to have done. So I think definitely it is a conversation that is being, you know, had at the moment and um, even though a lot of institutions would probably just try to go back to normal or just put in I don't know like just just leave behind whatever they did online once the lockdown is off um, and once we can you know in a way get back to our normal lives I don't know as as, <laughs> as normal as they can be from now on um, I think probably for a lot of them it's going to be just a case of, you know, this was useful for a little while, but this is definitely not something that I might be interested in keeping. But then I'm also hopeful that, that others might be like, okay, so we already have these, we have already gathered some knowledge about this, we might as well just keep on producing or thinking how to use these online spaces or these digital spaces for us to expand the experience. Because I think it's pretty much about that. It's not about, uh, you know, especially for non-digital or non-screen-based artwork, it's not about 
replacing the physical space or replacing the physical experiences that you might have while approaching certain artworks is more about expanding it. It's more about thinking about other possibilities of how to maybe give out some more information or maybe interacting in a different way with the process the artist had or, you know, you can have a different series of possibilities there. But I think it's definitely a conversation that's being had right now, but I'm still very much aware that there might be a lot of institutions that will just leave this behind once this is over. Yeah, that seems to be a shame because I feel like now it's like the opportunity to really optimize on online resources and having like for example like online exhibitions for example but making or even like virtual spaces like I know a lot of places um institutions and art galleries have done like like 3d remodeling or whatever it is but basically like as if you're in you're in the virtual like you're in the actual space in a way um but I hope yeah I hope in the future like once things are back to normality whatever that is um that they'll continue to maybe think about using the online as a platform to I don't know to 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 be more accessible for people um because it's interesting you said earlier as well um because it reminds me of the project we did you know white into green project that we did at uni um about like the physical and digital realm like as you were talking about the sculptures like you know sculpture for example now like it's interesting like when you see it in like a digital space like is it still a physical piece that you can experience the same way when you actually see it physically in person um i think that's a really interesting idea and thought to think about because how can our institutions and artists themselves really how can they almost adapt to being in a digital space if you know what I mean yeah um, definitely yeah so cool thank you for that that was really cool that was really interesting um so the next thing I was going to talk about um is uh oh yeah I know you touched it up briefly earlier but about um how digital art can create a sense of community uh whether that can be online or offline but uh just wondering what your thoughts are uh, on in terms of how yeah digital art itself can actually create a community doesn't matter within like within like maybe in the profession or culturally Mm -hmm. or whatever but yeah what, what do you think I think, I mean, definitely I can only talk about my own experience, right? But I think that, I don't know, for me it has always been a very, very interesting way to, I don't know, to understand when you are interested in something that might not be like the common thing or might not be that you are like obviously surrounded by a lot of professionals or a lot of practitioners that are interested in the same topics as you are. I think that definitely, the especially the digital arts community uh, on social media, I would say super, super supporting and has always been in a way very, very active in a sense of building its own its own way of, of I don't know, of, of doing things together and of, of 
feeling close to each other and uh, and I think that's probably one of the I know the nicest experiences I've had within the arts I don't know I mean maybe this is a bit anecdotal for <laughs> for the conversation but you know when when I started doing antimateria a lot of people were like oh but so you already had like some contacts in the art world right and I was like well no I, I did a BA in architecture and my my parents are not close to the arts whatsoever so so no like see I have zero contacts and for a lot of people that I knew that were also interested in the arts and you know that had like something going on there for a lot of them it was like oh well you need some contacts you know like oh you need some people that might like I don't know like make a space for you within this community or that would like I don't know like give you closer to the people that you want to meet and I always thought that it was very scary you know I was like but why do I have to you know like to do like go to all the openings and go to all the parties and maybe <laughs> potentially meet someone that might leave me to other some someone that I might be interested working with or interviewing or I thought it was I mean I don't consider myself an extrovert so for me for me that was super scary <laughs> so I was like but there should be a better way right like we have the internet <laughs> yeah. there should be like a, a, a better easier way for me that I you know I I, I I don't feel comfortable with approaching someone that I don't know and just be like oh yeah I love your work like do you want to work together I don't know I, I thought it was uh, I don't know I thought it was very scary so when I started working with uh, digital artists in particular so I tried I tried that first right so I tried approaching them through email or maybe through their Facebook accounts or through their Instagram accounts or whatever and they were super responsive from day one and they were all super nice and they were all like oh so you're interested in doing this 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 and that then you should meet my friend uh, they are doing these they work with these other techniques they are super interesting and that was something that I don't know that I found very uh, warm from that uh, mm. from this particular community that is at, at least in Mexico digital artists you know I thought it was super nice that all of these artists that I was interviewing were also interested in expanding my uh, well my my knowledge on this by sharing with me what other people that they knew worked on but then also shared with me you know books and references and movies and you know a lot of things and and I kept on thinking about you know this is really this is really nice because this is actually a community that is supporting each other that once a curator approaches one of them they are not scared of sharing you know like oh I have all of these other people that I know that work with these uh, tools and that might be interesting for you to meet you know and I think pretty much Antimateria was built from that was built from you know I approached one artist and then that artist led me to another and that one to another to another to another and eventually all of these you know like uh, web of literal web of, of people being like woven together because of their own experiences and because of their own interests I thought that was a really really nice way of thinking about a community then afterwards when I started you know approaching people outside of Mexico also through social media and sharing with them like oh I have this website it's called Antimateria it's currently in Spanish but you know if you 
if you know a little bit of Spanish, I think you can get through it and just click around. Please let me know what you think. Everyone was very, very supportive and everyone was like, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll spread the word. And uh, I also know this person, they might not be from, you know, from Mexico, but they work in Colombia. So maybe you should meet. And I don't know, I think that that, that is very nice. And I actually think about uh, when I moved to the UK and um, how a lot of these people that I only knew online contacted me with other people that I didn't knew online nor offline and I eventually met this other person offline through someone that I met online that I've never seen <laughs> offline before you know I don't know it's it's, it's That's amazing. I think it's weird but then at the same time I've always felt very supported by this community so I think probably of course nowadays even though a lot of things go, go on online course not all of the contemporary artists are gonna move into working with digital tools but what I would say is that it's definitely an opportunity for different different practitioners to at least start having a conversation about how to use digital tools or digital resources for them to you know share their work or share their processes or share whatever I think definitely the digital arts community I've always felt is very warm, very close and always open to, you know, to share with whoever wants to approach them. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely a nice a nice community. That's great. That's so nice to hear. I think I agree though, like in terms of like people like I've been speaking to like a few illustrators recently for Mad Hat Girls and the amount of people that just like approach you so quickly is <laughs> amazing uh and, and it's the same thing like i think yeah it's just really heartwarming to know that like i feel like, like because we all have like a similar vision or goal like we want to be in it together um mm -hmm. to achieve and i think that's just really nice and i think i think that's the main thing though like a lot of people sometimes get scared of like being online because of you know there are some weird people out there but like at the same time like if you know you know if you are in a safe community online then you know that you're in a safe space um it's just nice to have other people who've got some interests as you and able to share knowledge and ideas and yeah just be creative um that was actually my next thing but you already answered it for me so i'm not gonna go and ask i'm not gonna ask that question <laughs> <laughs> it's basically about like collaborating with people um because obviously the best thing about being online is of course um you don't have to be in the same country as you just mentioned um i think it's really great that for example now i'm in the uk and you're in mexico and then we get to have this conversation together um yeah and then it can be eventually shared online for other people to listen to and i think it's just really nice um the other thing yeah the next thing i want to talk about is um i know you're considering doing a phd in the future um and i just want to know like what research are you considering and mm -hmm. for your PhD and why you want to do it? Sure, well I'm actually uh, planning to go back to the UK for this. <laughs> oh, you um, missed us so much. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed by, of, of doing a master's in the UK, I think was this whole building of a methodology that, you know, it's, it's a very particular way of doing that in the UK. And also, I mean, I have to say that since I graduated from a BA in architecture, I actually didn't 
really get to write a dissertation at all. I did a project, like an architectural project, and that was pretty much it. So for me, it was very interesting to understand this whole process of doing and writing a dissertation and, you know, kind of like organizing your thoughts into all of this spectrum. And um, so when I graduated from the master's, I already wanted to go back for a PhD. And uh, I'm considering at the moment applying for the media and communications um, PhD at Goldsmiths. Hmm. So I think w when I started writing my PhD proposal, like three years ago, <laughs> even before graduating my master's, I already knew that I wanted to go back for more. So eager, that's great. Um, <laughs> at first, I thought it was going to be something regarding, you know curatorial knowledge or curatorial practice or something in between that. But now I think that it has been very important for me to come back home and to gather more experience by working uh, on an institution because up until that moment I had only worked freelance. So of course that's very, very different to working for an institution, which in my case is part of the Secretary of Culture of the whole country. So, you know, it's 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 different. You have to, you have to understand other, other, how can I say it? Like other interests that are at play, right? And other goals that uh, the current government has, or that your specific institution has, that you might or might not be as close with than when you're working freelance. That you can definitely just think about that on your own and and figure that out on, by yourself, right? So, I think now it has very much came into into this part of thinking about this broader sense of media, especially digital media and communications, because I've been very interested in thinking about also accessibility for the past years. So, I mean, even though Mexico is, is a very, let's say, connected country when it comes down to the internet, then at the same time, we still have uh, a, a, you know, like a large amount of, of people that still have no internet access. And then other thing that I realized when by being here is that most of the people that access the internet, they do that through their smartphones, not through laptops or computers. So that means for me, at least as a curator in Mexico, working with Mexican artists that if I don't consider you know, the, the interface that is very, very different, you know, in terms of the scale and also in terms of proportions that you have while looking at something on your smartphone. And I'm only thinking about something that you see through a laptop or desk computer, it's not going to work. So I've been thinking a lot about how can we build these interfaces, because it really just it, it really comes down to that. Uh, the interface is basically the connecting device between the human and the content through a screen. So, you know, the, the interfaces can be screens and, and keyboards and headphones and uh, VR headsets and, you know, all of these designed objects that we have contact with, like physical contact with, that connect us with other information normally uh, digital information, normally digital information that flows online. So for the PhD, I've been thinking about how can we think about a methodology that allows us to consider the design of interfaces 
for accessing art uh, online. So it's not only about, you know, considering the implications that doing an online exhibition has in terms of, let's say, a broader curatorial knowledge uh, about, you know, uh, diversity and about uh, being uh, coherent with the times that we are living in and the topics that you choose to talk about and you know this sort of like broader sense of understanding the role of a curatorial practice within within society but then also I'm very interested in thinking about you know what are the the current issues that we are facing while working with digital devices and online art spaces and how can we overcome that whether that be through you know maybe it is a case of thinking only about a methodology that allows us to share without uh you know like a very heavy uh, broadband internet broadband or maybe it is about placing i don't know i am very interested in thinking about these hybrid spaces because i think that's the way that you can actually open up to consider um, being much more accessible with people that might not have the best internet connection or people that might not have the proper devices or the devices updated to the you know to the latest software um, in order for them to access these and also to think about the strategies behind that because it's not only about you know let's just place this thing on the internet and cross your fingers and hope for the best you know and uh, maybe just sharing these through social media and just I don't know like hoping that someone will arrive here and see what goes on there I think that it is much more about considering this idea of the interface in order for you to properly connect and communicate through these devices and I think that's the reason why I've been thinking a lot about these media and communications PhD because it goes way beyond only uh, thinking about art, which I think, of course, is a very critical part of it. But then at the same time, I think that, you know, on the, on the current atmosphere, it feels like we will be needing, you know, these methodologies and these strategies for thinking about uh, communicating through digital devices more and more. I mean, it is already here, but you know what happens when you go super specific to think about the strategies that the, cult the cultural circuit can take once, you know, a crisis such as the one that we are currently living in comes at play. Like what happens there? Because it feels like this, uh, this moment in, in time, you know, with this, with the lockdown and so forth, it took a lot of us by surprise. And I think that we just can't let that happen again. It's like you can, you can have this happen once, but once you know that this can happen and that will surely happen again in the near future, then you need to be prepared for it. So, of course, one of the most, I would say, vulnerable areas to lose a lot of you know, budget and to lose a lot of accessibility to uh, different uh, resources is, of course, the cultural circuit. And at least I think personally that it is probably one of the smaller, I don't know, well, not smaller in, in, in a bad sense, but one of the things that has kept us sane, you know, well, during lockdown, like, yeah. you know, the culture has definitely played a big role in making us feel a little bit better about the times that we are living on or to considering and critically thinking about what's going, what's going on and to maybe even reconsider what you can do, uh, you know, 
in order to to make things better or to to work on something that you have already realized that is not working and i think you know if we do not consider these strategies while well, thinking about you know the, the potential strategies that we need in order to face this sort of um problems in the near future then we we uh, will be lost <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's yeah my current interest in the phd proposal it's very much yeah about that oh that's so that's really interesting i feel like you've been thinking this sort of idea since i've known you when i was at uni with you because i know you already <laughs> had this sort of con like concept in your head but and now i'm so happy that you finally or well, it's almost materialized like your what you want to research and i think that's really exciting and i think you're right in a way not right in a way but i think what's really interesting is the idea of accessibility and like in terms of like as you said like with the lockdown being a worldwide thing like every 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 single person is affected by it um and the idea of like how we can make as you said resources and information more accessible yeah. i think that's just really interesting and that also yeah as you said like learn from i feel like there's a lot of mistakes made as you said like during this this lockdown because i think so many people just were so unprepared for it and then hopefully we can learn from it and learn yeah, next and, time and also you know i think about like going back to the the to the idea of community i also think about you know all of these people that is like you know taking their projectors outside the window and you know screening movies for their neighbors to see or for whoever that is around to see you know maybe this sounds like a very obvious strategy or maybe i don't know it's it's also like a tiny bit cheesy if you think about it but then at the same time it builds a sense of community it builds a sense of care it builds a sense of you know of, of sharing with others is important as well and i think you know when you put these tiny things together that is like an interesting way to mitigate loneliness as well mm. then you you understand that the, there's a you know a big potential there for you to expand when thinking about these devices and to think when thinking about uh in, in this case for instance you know a screen based whatever <laughs> being projected outside the window and sharing with others then I mean, then again, it, it does sound obvious, but it has been super helpful. So what if we are better prepared for other ways of of, of sharing with others? You know, yeah. uh, I think it's important. Yes, absolutely. Also, that sounds amazing. Having a projection outside the window. Also, I'll be I'll be down for that. That sounds great. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, Obviously, the other role that you have, which you said at the beginning, is you are a lecturer. Is it as how many courses? Two, two different courses, or was it one course? Well, I currently have four courses. Four? Oh <laughs> but, my god, Doreen! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how I do it. Sometimes I just wake up and I'm like, "What am I? Am I crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> you are a busy bee. Wow. Okay. Oh cool. <laughs> Um, um, my main question is though um, with the four courses that you have <laughs> currently um, it's quite a simple question but I think at the moment because of 
again locked down and I think around this time as well a lot of people are graduating from university or they're graduating from high school or whatever but in terms of the courses that you've you're teaching at the moment what is something you wish for students to gain and take away with them I think well it, it has been very hard first of all that's like one of the things that I, I want to point out that for me it has been very hard and I am very much aware that I have probably the best equipped students to deal with something like this which is going full on digital um, for their yeah for their courses right so since I lecture at the BA in digital arts of course for them it's not as hard as for other students that might not be as tech savvy as my students. So when I think about that and the problems that I've had, knowing full well that my students are probably the best equipped of them all, it makes me, I don't know, it, it, it makes me wonder, you know, like how we definitely need to think about other ways of approaching these online times. Um, for my students in particular, I think one of the things that I have really, really wanted to share with them is that, you know, it's not about the amount of work that you do, it's about the quality of your work. And it is about being very um, honest and very direct with your own goals and with your own practice. I mean, especially since I'm working with young artists. Um, I think for me that is very important, you know, to, to not necessarily go on and consider like I don't know like the international trends of what you should be doing or talking about or how it should look and feel it's more about understanding especially now who you are as an artist who you are as a creative and uh, and, 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 and yeah and understand that and be honest with it and be honest with the tools that you like using and being honest with whatever you're working on. And, and I think that translates in a very, I don't know, in a very direct and compelling way into what they are working on. So three of my four courses are, let's say, project-based courses. So for one of them, they have to deliver an online-based artwork. For another one, they have to deliver an online exhibition and for the third one they have to deliver a critical blog uh, with opinions and basically texts and essays about the things that we've been uh, talking about during the course so in, in i mean that that was what it was let's say on paper from day one so they already knew that's what they had to do so in that sense that didn't really change for them yeah um at all you know that that's what they had to do from day one so uh, that's what they've been doing up until now and and i think that at some point a lot of them started thinking about how these that they are currently doing is might actually be uh well the only thing that could be shown at, at these times right so i have this this thing with my um digital art students that so during uh, within this particular art school, there's only two BAs, the BA in uh, fine arts and the BA in digital arts, as if they were different things. But OK, I'm not going to get into that conversation. I was going to say, <laughs> um, I was like, OK. 
<laughs> like yeah I know so normally what happens is that you know most of my digital art students have never exhibited anything on the school gallery because it feels as if fine art students are the ones that should be using those spaces and you know this is not something that this is not an idea that comes from directives or or teachers or it's not that it's just a case that they feel you know that there's this I don't know like separation in between what they do and what the fine art students do and that probably what the fine art students do is more deserving of being exhibited in the school gallery spaces I don't know I think it's a weird way of, of thinking about it but you know I think with all of these changes and the current situation, there's a lot of fine art students that are approaching digital art students to ask them for help, you know, to be like, okay, so I want to, you know, share my my paintings or my, or share my, I don't know, whatever installation. How do I do this? Can you help me out with this? You know the online spaces better than I do. Like, what would you recommend for someone like me that has zero experience with this thing? And I think it's very nice because they are kind of like, I don't know, of, of getting back this exchange and the community sense within yeah, school. 100%. It's like as if because, they're networking, creating community with them. Exactly, because now them. it's like, okay, so maybe if my digital art students were to show their work physically, they would approach the fine art students to ask, ask them like, oh, you know, where can I get these? Or what would you recommend in terms of this, this, this and that? Or what are the best materials for me to be working with or whatever, you know, that's like a common thing, which gives in a way the fine art students the sense that they are the ones that know better, right? And now they are like, okay, I don't know how to do this, but you know, the digital art students might know because digital right so yeah <laughs> and I think it's it's nice because they are like they are realizing that both their practices and both their work and their experiences and their knowledge are very valuable and that instead of thinking about competing with each other it's more about complementing each other and I think that's something that I'd like my students to understand like from from now on like it's about working together it's about sharing with others it's about yes asking for help when you need it but it's also being there for other people that might need help in things that you might know as well so I think that's that's something that this particular semester has helped with developing but then of course at the same time is something that is not as obvious just yet yeah, I feel like that's something that's really valuable to take forward though once you graduate from university is the idea of staying, as you said, like knowing just to engage with people and create a community and network with people and share. Again, it's going back to what we were saying earlier, it's just sharing each other's specialty and interests and so on and so forth. So yes. yeah, I think that's great. Um, okay. Uh, moving on, uh, in terms of like, again, like with network and um, networking community, uh, a big factor of this is obviously the idea of diversity and inclusion, which is something Mad Hat Girls is really strong, feels very strongly about the idea of acceptance and understanding cultural differences and enabling you to communicate with each other better, I guess. 
um, mm-hmm. and sharing ideas and thoughts, things like that. Um, I just want to know because as you said from the beginning, uh, you're from Mexico, you're currently in Mexico right now. Um, what is your input on diversity um, personally, like your personal view? And do you feel that Mexican artists or institutions are doing enough to represent diversity in a way in terms of not in terms of just co- like other cultures but like diversity and everything in terms of like maybe class or um, gender identity things like that I think well for, for me definitely thinking about diversity is very very important and uh, and I always like to to talk a little bit about the first exhibition that I did um, <laughs> because in that first exhibition that I did, that was actually in Winchester, I had uh, seven artists showing their artwork, out of which six were men and just one was a woman. And uh, at the moment, I didn't really think much about it, you know, like I, I was not aware of that. And actually, I can say I was very lucky of not having anyone bring that up at the moment of the exhibition. But then, you know, as, as time went by, I realized the huge mistake that I made there, you know, especially being a, a female curator. I was like, how is this even possible? Like, how, how come I was not even aware of me committing this, you know, I don't know, uh, non-diverse <laughs> crime, right? You know, like, I was like, well, yeah. like, if it is not me, that I am a female curator that can understand uh, the the you know the the complex ways in which being female uh, you know and what does that mean for for different areas of I don't know like of professional development generally speaking especially while coming from Mexico was like if it is not me who is aware of this then who yeah you know if yeah. it, if it is not me who is gonna make a change on this or who is at least gonna be aware of this and is not gonna do this or is not gonna, you know, uh, perpetuate this system that don't really care about anything that's not white men, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if it is not me, then who is, right? Like, I have to take responsibility for this. And like myself, of course, everyone else, because we all have our responsibility, uh, you know, with these topics. And um, I think, well, that happened on my first exhibition. And from that moment on, I can say that I've never, ever done anything like that again. And even though I was very proud of this exhibition, and of course the artists were fantastic and the artwork was great, every time that I think back on that, I, was, I, I think that, you know, I can always do better. And you, you always need something to, to I don't know, to, to think twice when you are working within these spaces that showcase, or there should be the space that showcase diversity, right? So, so yeah, I think that 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 for me was a very important lesson. Even though, again, that and no one brought that up, like at any point, and probably that was the worst part of it all, right? That everyone was yeah, just so yeah. used to it that no one said anything. I had to figure out that for myself. So eventually, it was like, oh my god, I think I, I screwed up. Right, but why didn't anyone told me that I screwed up? Because clearly I did screw up. So, 
that's well, the thing though it's it's subconscious right it's sort yeah. of like integrated into our subconscious mind thinking as you said like oh it's normal why didn't no one else bring it up why yeah. didn't no one at the institution bring it up yeah i think yeah carry on but yeah that's a really interesting point to me and so yeah from that moment on i think that's something that i i definitely try to be fully aware of so when thinking about mexican institutions of course i mean in mexico we also have a very big problem of racism and a very big problem of you know still think that art is only for rich people and that art is something that you know only a few can understand only intellectual people can understand and and i think it's definitely something that is changing but it's slowly changing i can gladly say that at the digital culture center we have definitely embraced that as a responsibility, as a political responsibility. And especially when it comes to representing um, women and uh, representing diverse uh, gender identities and representing uh, people that might not necessarily have graduated, you know, from art schools and, you know, that have like uh, 10 degrees in whatever. So we've had, uh, I think, two or three projects that I've that, that have developed while I've been working there um, that have been important for me and important for you know for me to understand the importance of having a stance on this so one of the uh, of these projects is called Patsakua and this project is a series of electronic literature pieces um, written in in um, different uh, local languages like yeah. uh, I don't know how to say that in English appropriately uh, but uh, well yeah I mean uh, you know all the uh, the smaller communities that still keep their own languages like from you know pre-hispanic times okay. um, yeah. so it's it's small communities that still keep these and uh, it's definitely something that a lot of people is very scared that is eventually will disappear because you know every day less and less people talk uh, you know Mayan or talk Zapotec or talk uh, Nahuatl which are like some of these languages that are still uh, very present in these communities but these communities are very small and you know very much pushed aside and very much pushed into you have to learn Spanish, you know, if you want to basically be part of the society. So this project is a series of electronic literature pieces that are written in different um, uh, languages from from these smaller communities. So I think that is a very nice project. And also we had for the Women's Day in March, we had a manifesto that was launched that's called the Mutant Manifesto. Um, and I think that that, that was, was very controversial because uh, so we, we adopted last year um, the inclusive language for everything 
within the institution, like from internal communication to external communication, to the way that we write our official letters to the Secretary of Culture, to, to everything. And that was, wow, that was a wild conversation. Um, oh. There's still a lot of people that, you know, when we post things on, on social media, that's created in inclusive language, which means basically adding an X instead of an O or an A. In Spanish, when you want to differentiate between male or female, you would say, you would change the, the, the word. So instead of choosing to change to O or to A, we chose to use an X, which is very common for inclusive language in Spanish. Um, but of course, you know, you have a lot of people who is like, how come an official institution is, is promoting this? This is a language aberration. This is awful. Like, who is the people behind this? <laughs> oh, Why wow. are my, you know, my taxes going into paying these people who don't even know how to write and that sort of thing. And I find it hilarious to be fair, but, uh, <laughs> Wow. But yeah, I mean, that was very <laughs> controversial and we, we launched this manifesto which talks about that and which talks about in a very, I would say, in a very poetic way, which talks about how language needs to adapt to new times and that language is a, as a living uh, entity that changes with society and that we definitely need to rethink our approach, especially in a country such uh, as Mexico that is so violent towards women, that is so violent towards other gender identities that are not the binary established ones, uh, it is very important to, you know, to, to start talking about this and to have the, the hard conversations about this. So one of the ways that we have chosen as an institution to do so is to adopt inclusive language. So I think yeah. that generally speaking about institutions a lot of mexican institutions are doing these small political changes within their own structures but i would definitely say it's something that's quite new so it's not necessarily the the normal or it's not necessarily the conversation that you would have you know like with all of the institutions in terms of, oh, are you aware that your exhibition is only men? Are you aware that, you know, this, this, this and that? Are you aware that you might not be inclusive for all the people that like to, you know, join your institution or whatever? I think it's definitely new, but I'm hopeful because I can definitely see, at least from where I'm stand standing, that there's a change, a, a heavy change. Like, yeah. And Tiny, I think that's the important thing. But, yeah. That's, that, that there's a recognition of a change and that, as you said before, like it's a slow progression, but at least something is now being done, even though it's not as quick as maybe you expect, but it, something is happening. But that's really interesting though about the, the idea of language because and how we should adapt, as you said, to nowadays times, you know, I think yeah. that's really, really important. And also not to forget like as you said like people's old dialects like from way back you know it's very similar to like in China for example like I I'm from uh villages well my family are from a village up in, in Hong Kong near the border of China and it's called Hakka uh Hakka is very old <laughs> very very old but it's the same thing like that's also dying out um but yeah I find that really 
yeah that's really cool I just yeah the way also now you've got an institution that you work for that represents you know diversity and inclusiveness and I think that's really 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 important especially in terms of again like the idea of creating community um in general like creating exhibitions or whatever you know networking you need to be diverse to yeah. create better things <laughs> and yeah like, i mean and you... definitely i think if if there's no diversity in innovation then there's no innovation yeah 100% yeah i mean then what's the point <laughs> exactly it's going to be so yeah it's going to be so one way narrow minded sort of vision and that's not what it's all about at all but I want to say a huge thank you to you. That's all the questions I have for you. Uh, but it was so interesting. Like I've, because we haven't actually spoken quite a while, uh, and it was really, really nice catching up with you, and also like just hearing your thoughts with everything going on at the moment, especially because of lockdown and like weird times. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really, yeah, I just really, really appreciate you coming on to us as podcast. Um, and what we'll do is um, we'll also write I'll, I'll also write uh, a little blog um, about this podcast as well and I'll link um, your website uh, Doreen's website and social media feeds um, all that jazz on there as well um, do you have anything else to say Doreen? No only that well thank you so much for, for inviting me it's been yeah it's been a blast I've had a lot of fun and it's been very nice catching up with you Anthea and uh and being part at least of this small community, you know, the the Mad Hat Girls community. And I think it's definitely a community that will expand. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy to be part of it. And we are so happy to have you. Um, like, again, thank you so much. Like you've, if no one knows what I'm gonna say it, but Doreen has like been such an amazing person since I met her at uni. Um, and I've learned, you're such a clever person. I always say this to people, but Doreen is so smart. Um, and all the things that we discuss is just so fascinating. And I hope other people, when they listen to this podcast, they'll feel the same way. Um, so thank you. And next podcast will be soon, hopefully. Um, and it will be with another artist. Um, and yeah, and that's it. So thank you, everyone. And bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into our Mad Hat Girls podcast. Please be sure to follow our social media platforms with the handle at Mad Hat Girls and check out our website www.madhatgirls.com. Thank you again and stay lovely.